Devin Bramhall's approach to ensuring the best in content marketing actually has little to do with writing itself and more to do with process. She says quality doesn't just appear out of thin air, that you can actually create great writers through a great process. This is only part of the value that Devin brings to Animals as its VP of marketing. Animals, with a Z, is a content marketing agency that claims right on its homepage, the best content marketing lives here. With a client list that includes the likes of Google, Amazon, Intercom, and GoDaddy, among others, they seem to be making good on that message. But how? In a crowded space where tens of thousands of other agencies offer content marketing services, how does one small agency stand out? As Devin puts it, because they figured out how to manufacture creativity. This is Ground Up. It's a podcast about growth, except without all the numbers. Here, we tell the stories of everything behind the numbers, the ideas, the habits, the discipline, and also the personal and professional growth of some of the smartest marketers and business owners that we know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Devin, tell us about yourself in 30 <laughs> seconds. Or, or I hate those anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like everyone always spends too much time on them too. Like you finally give them the floor to talk about themselves and they like read you, you know, they tell you everything. I'm like, I don't. And nobody, nobody's ever good. At, I feel like no one's ever good at it. Like if yes. you were like, hey, it, all right, John, like tell us about yourself. Everyone's always like, uh, so I'm at, like, no one's good at it. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> they just start reading their resume or telling their whole complete history. And You're not like, sure what to <laughs> say. Yeah. Um, yeah. You asked me to come here. I don't, I, I'm not sure what to say. Um, That's a good pie, a good blog post though. Like why storyteller, like uh, why the best storytellers are shitty at telling their own story. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. We're already coming up with content ideas. It's yeah. been 47 seconds since I hit record. So. <laughs> I love it. But I, I actually it. want to start with a quote that I saw of yours that I feel like encompasses the whole spirit of this podcast, which was, it was an interview you did, um, and you said something, I'm paraphrasing, but it was, it's all about process. Quality doesn't just appear. We've built, we meaning animals, we've built quality into our process. Um, and animals, just as, you know, a quote unquote outsider, although I'm a big fan, I think puts out some of the best content on content on the web. Um, I'd put Andy Crestadina up there too. He's another one. And honestly, I can't think of another one. Uh, marketing showrunners, um, what Jay Akunza does with podcasts is yes. another one. Um, but Animals puts out some of the best content on content on the web. And you're saying quality doesn't just appear. So that's like the spirit of this podcast is like the structure, the process behind things. So really just to lead off, you know, in reference to animals, like, can you unpack that statement? Yes. Thank you. I, whew, that's a, you know, when you say something smart and then you got to live <laughs> up to it later. No, um, a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I look, I'm a very process driven person, which is kind of odd because if I were to think about like my personality, my day to day life, I, I'm, I don't seem that process driven, right? Like, <laughs> I am a creative at heart, you know, I always have been. So I'm sort of shocked at myself that I value process so much because um, if that makes any sense, but no, uh, from a business perspective, process matters because uh, creativity, like there's this whole thing around creativity and how it's like, 
it can just, it kind of like, there's an explosion, right? And someone's just spontaneously make something awesome, right? But that's never really actually the case, right? We have this like sort of colloquial belief that creativity is something that just appears, but I don't actually believe that because there's a whole bunch of stuff that happened before that that nobody ever talks about. And that's why the thing that finally took off was great. And I think that for us, in order for us to live up to um, our own brand, our own claims, our own product, right, we have to create a process to make sure we can repeat it over and over and over and over again, right? Um, So I, that's kind of like, that's my philosophy with everything basically is that like you can, you can manu- like you, you can, you can manufacture greatness and the way to manufacture greatness is by having a process. It's that simple. You can teach it too. Like you don't, you don't just like creatives aren't just born, right? You can make really exceptionally talented, creative people and you do that by process. I think that's going to be the new intro for our show. So I'll just have to get like you to sign off on that at the end here. <laughs> All set. No worries. No um, worries. <laughs> so we're going to circle back to that uh, because I want to dig more into that. But uh, we're splitting this interview really into three segments. The first one we're going to covering is really just going to be about you. So really the most uncomfortable part really for, really for the guest, right? You're going to talk about yourself. Yeah. So, But really like the values, uh, the qualities that are unique to you and what you bring to the work. So, um, and I think that's perfect segue into what you just said about animals. Um, but what values do you think, because you've been doing this a long time, help scout, like I told you before we got on the recording today that I've been a fanboy of yours for a long time in the content marketing world, but what values do you bring to the work that you think are important? Ooh. So, uh, number one, I would say is, gosh, this is a really good question that you're making me think about. (laughs) Um, so I think fairness is one of them. Honestly. Um, I think that to have a thriving team that has the space to be creative, um, you need the team to feel like there's a certain sense of equality across everybody. And I know that doesn't seem directly related to the work, but it truly is. I've worked in some pretty intense environments where um, it was easy for creativity to be stifled. And I think that because we're in a creative business, we need this kind of, uh, we need an environment where people can feel uh, that they can be themselves and people are treated equally to the best of their ability. Um, Number two, I think there needs to be a certain amount of, um, I don't know how to express this in a value, but it's like experimentation, right? You're open to, and maybe I would actually rephrase that as like, um, we're open to people being wrong, right? Taking risks, Um, right? Yeah. 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 Because again, like how my biggest challenge is how to extract people's talents and creativity, right? Their unique talents and creativity. And if people don't feel safe to express those like deepest, darkest areas of their, of themselves, then I'm not going to get the most unique work, right? Right. Right. Anybody can create content, right? Anybody can create content. We make a promise that we create the best content on the web. That is really tough to live up to. And to live up to that, I need to get everybody's kind of unique contribution, Right. 
Do you think so, like do you think numbers stifle that sometimes? Like it, you have to hit a certain traffic number, you have to increase organic sessions by a certain percentage. Does that kind of thing make people feel less safe to try new things or to get more creative? Or on the flip side, does that give people the guardrails to work within to be creative? Uh, I think it should, I think it's all in how you look at it. And I see something like that as a creative constraint. So, and that's actually something that I learned from our lead designer at Help Scout, who's one of the founders. And he talked about creative constraints a lot. And so you could look at something as a limitation holding you back, or you could say as a creative, you could say, okay, these are my guardrails. Right. I, my job is to come up with something fantastically unique and special and compelling with these guardrails. Right. I think it, limitations should always be seen as a challenge to be better. So yeah, mindset. And I think, you know, attitude is, again, I'm not really sure how to express this in a value, but like attitude is really important, right? Sure. Like it's, all, if you're looking at things, um, if you're, you want to create, like, I want to create a culture where people have like positive, uh, curious, right. Challenging attitudes. Um, because that's really, if I look at like our internal culture, that's really what makes our team, what I think one of the things that make our team great is like really intelligent people, high integrity, but they're nice. <laughs> Not always, you don't always get both of those things at the same time, right? <laughs> no, no, it's hard. And you want to, it's hard to protect that, right? Right. You're constantly adding, I mean, at an agency, we're constantly adding people. Sure. So it's like, as you're adding people, it's you your biggest asset, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, but you have to maintain that culture while you're adding people. Even more important in a service business, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and animals is, is animals a hundred percent remote? Yes. You are. Uh, what, so, and you've been working remote for a long time, but was help scout right before animals or was there, yeah. uh, oh, there was. So how long have you personally been working remote? Since, well, the first time I worked remote was in 2013. I had just come back from a couple of years in Indonesia and I actually rejoined the startup I left to go to Indonesia for a few years. And they were, I mean, I had no money. I was like, <laughs> welcome back to the working regular working world. So I worked remote for a company called SpringPad from my mom's house in Vermont. And then I traveled the world while I was like getting back on my feet, I guess. So I worked remote for a year came back to Boston. And then again, when I started at help scout, which was, I guess, 2015 or 16. And I did some freelancing in the middle there. So, okay. So you were, yeah, you were starting at help scout around the same time I was starting at litmus. So that yeah. was interesting. So what do you, uh, like talk about any challenges. Everybody talks about the perks or their assumptions on what it's like to work remote, right? Like working in your pajamas and doing whatever you want, but talk about the challenges in your preferred way of working through them to stay productive, being yeah. good communication and those kind of things when it comes to remote work. Yeah. Uh, the biggest challenge is loneliness and, uh, lack of pro like challenges around productivity. So, you know, when you have, it's like the burden of choice, right? When you have all the options in the world, how do you choose? Right. Sure. Same goes with your time. If you have all the freedom in the world, how do you create, structure and how do you create a life that you again because here's the thing going back to creative constraints 
going to an office is a creative constraint, right? It puts constraints around your day and you're forced to be creative with your time around it, but you have limited time. So it's more precious. So you're like, okay, I'm going to make the most of every moment. (laughs) But when you have all your moments back, right? And no forced interactions, you have to do all the work. That's a huge, like mental, emotional burden. So I really see, uh, yeah, like building community and staying productive as really, I mean, it's hard. I actually talked to one of our newer hires about um, this today or this week. She just started her first remote job and she was like, look, you know, I just, I need some help. Right. Like, and she was smart enough to ask for help. So the way what I told her, and this is what I do, and this is comes after like not doing it right for a while. (laughs) (laughs) So the only way you know how to do it right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Do it wrong first. Yeah, totally. Um, so one is like create a structure, like create a schedule for yourself. Sorry, plan ahead, create a schedule and then do not question it. Like do not, you cannot think about your schedule. Once you've scheduled it, you just follow it blindly. It's like the one time in your life where I would ever recommend that because if you overthink it, what you start to go down is this rabbit hole of why should I bother? And once you get to that phase, it's really tough to get out. Right. Like, it's so hard. So it's like, look, every week, I start off the week on Sunday, and I look ahead and I say, okay, what are the days I'm going to, like, when when do I have time to work from a coffee shop? That's usually when I don't have calls, and I have a lot of calls. So it's like, there'll be a block of, like, three hours. Sure. Um, so it's like, when am I going to get out of the house to work? What am I going to do after work? So like I schedule, I pick which yoga Pilates classes I'm going to go to, schedule dinners with friends, um, you know, figure out uh, what nights I want to do read, like educational reading or whatever. And I literally put it on the calendar. That helps so much. And sometimes I even do that during the day. It's like instead of having several meetings, I'll be like, oh, this two hour block. I'm going to accomplish this one thing. Yeah. And then, because when you have that block like that, you sit down and you're like, shit, I've got, ooh, sorry, shoot. I've got two hours. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I've got two hours to do this one thing and I have to finish it. But like, if you were to think about it too much, you'd be like, well, I don't really have to finish it. But because I don't think about it, I'm like, I have to finish this. Right. Because it's on my calendar. Time blocking like, is, I think, is the most effective discipline and one yeah. of the most important. And one of the more obvious, but I feel like very few people do it oh, yeah. or, or do it effectively. I think, yeah, planning ahead, blocking off time to do specific tasks instead of just like, I'll get to that next week, I feel like is is, is super critical. Um, and, and, and what about communication? Because somebody like Jimmy Daly, right, who many of the listeners of this podcast might know, he's in Colorado, yep. right? You're in New York. So yep. obviously different time zones. I'm sure there's many others, too, that are animals in different time zones. So it could be tricky, right? You're cutting out and Jimmy's just finishing lunch. Um, how how have you ironed that out? So we, number one, we hire people in like a range of time zones, right? So like we don't go too far east, right? So it's like if you're in European kind of UK time zone and we go, actually, that's not true because Gail is our editor and she's in Hawaii. So it actually is quite a range. So, uh, number one, create async processes, right? We don't, we shouldn't, if we're doing our job right, we shouldn't need to talk all day, every day, right? right? Conversation should 
only be used for sorting out things you can't sort out asynchronously. Um, planning again, this goes, everything in my life, I feel like goes back to process. I'm like, okay, well you need to plan like, <laughs> you know, you got to plan ahead. So it's like, you know, we're not deciding today what we're going to do tomorrow. We decided a while ago. So it's like, in some cases we have the call the day before maybe or whatever. Um, but there's rarely a time when the couple hours that we overlap, we can't accomplish everything we need to accomplish. You know what I mean? Sure. And that's the thing you have to kind of train yourself on is like, you know, um, lessening your reliance on the nine to five, right? A day is fluid. I may wake up in the morning, look at Slack, answer some stuff from Julia, who's in Barcelona because she's been up for a while or Ryan or Cassie or in the UK, answer a few quick questions and then be off for the next three hours, right? Walking my dog, eating breakfast, doing my morning routine, right? Listening to the news or whatever, and then coming back and starting my day. And so it's like, for me, because I've blocked off like periods of time, much like you've blocked off this interview, right? Sure, There's themes yeah. to different parts of the day for me, then it's not a big deal for me to spend 30 minutes or an hour answering some stuff real fast to facilitate the end of their day and then formally starting mine later. Right. Yeah. Because, you're, yeah. Go ahead, yeah sorry. It's like, there's a mental block too, right? Cause people always talk about like, Oh, when you're remote or whatever, like you can work all the time. Right. But the thing is, is like, I, again, I think that's the wrong way to think about it is like just mentally block out these different parts of your day. And then it doesn't feel like you're working all day. I'm like, I just worked for 30 minutes. Right. And then I worked, didn't work for three hours. Right. Like that, those three hours are an Island all to themselves. Right. Sure. I didn't even think about work in those three hours. Then I had my big block or whatever. So right, right, sure, right. Um, since we're talking a lot about team, that I, I think that's we should just segue right into the next section, which is more about like the team and recruiting, hiring, prioritizing, all the good stuff for building your team, especially on the remote side, which is super interesting to me. More so because I'm living that. Um, mm -hmm. But take us into your start at Animals. Was there? I mean, were you there from the very beginning? Was there any sort of marketing happening? Like, what did everything look like when you first joined? When I first joined the company, I joined in uh, March of 2018, mm -hmm. and the company had been around for three years. Jimmy had rejoined as the head of marketing uh, in January, so at that point, we did have a blog. Had he started the podcast yet? I don't think so. I don't think he had started the podcast yet. So there was the blog, and that was it. We had no Twitter account. We had... Again, at that point, I don't think we had the blog. It was started shortly after. Sure. Um, so there really wasn't much. The team itself was relatively flat at that time. You know, it was Walter, the founder, CEO, Jimmy. Um, we had a GM, Andrew, who had been there since the beginning. Um, and then there was a there were a bunch of there were some roles I don't fully understand that Haley and I kind of changed pretty quickly, but it was mostly just people working on customers. There wasn't really, there weren't the layers that we have now. Um, the company was also a lot smaller. We had fewer customers. It was sort of working, but it also really wasn't. And that's part of the reason that Walter brought Haley and I on was sure. like, okay, we need a more like formalized leadership team. Um, because at the time it was really mostly just Walter. Right. Which is, which is interesting for agency. So many agencies go so long, right. Kind of neglecting their own marketing because they're spending so much of their time, uh, on the processes for getting their clients results and, and things like that. So that, that 
type of foresight that early, right? Uh, to to well, focus in that area. But as a content marketing agency too, you have to put out like we used to say this at Litmus. We are an email marketing software. We have to send the best emails. They can't be broken anywhere. Broken links. So as a content marketing agency, your content marketing has to be on point. Yes, absolutely. And you know, it's funny because you know the first. I think the early years, it was you know, we were for market marketing, um, which is really just biz, biz dev was reliance on Walter's network and then word of mouth, right? The more we were working, the more word right. of mouth became the primary source of new business. Um, the marketing was really what lessened our reliance on those two things, which actually makes us stronger, which is great. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, Walter was smart. He brought on Jimmy to do our marketing and Jimmy's, you know, a veteran marketer. He's very talented. He does a great job. So he was able to kind of establish, us as credible, sure. <laughs> like yeah. a credible content marketing agency. Um, though I will say, I, I sort of agree that we have to do the best and litmus has to do the best, but I also sort of disagree. Um, partially from my, because of my experience, right? Like we had a website that was kind of shit. Like it wasn't very <laughs> good, right? It was fine, but like, it wasn't, it wasn't what you would expect from a content marketing agency. Um, we didn't, we weren't on social media at all. And in fact, when I ran Boston content or when I took over Boston content from Jay at the time we had a website, I don't think, I forget if I had launched the Twitter account by then we weren't sending email, like we weren't really doing a lot and we were a content marketing group, right? right? So we were able to be very successful without it. Um, but I think the part of what you said that I agree with is that if you're going to do something right in our case, marketing, yeah. The thing you do, like choose what you do wisely and do it to the best of your ability. You don't necessarily have to do all of it. You have right? to model it. Yeah. Yeah. But even like, you know, I gotta say when we, we redid our website this year, um, and at the time I had us, you know, launch our Twitter account for the first time, we've been doing some stuff that like, I, I wouldn't say that we will always do right. We're experimenting a little we're doing some things that I think that you wouldn't expect a veteran kind of content marketing agency to do for the purpose of building our audience on Twitter that I think will evolve over time and change, you know, and maybe uh, polish up a little bit. But I'm also okay with that because if we're like, we have to be able to experiment ourselves. We have to live and breathe what we're pitching to people. And experimentation is a big part of successful content marketing programs. So I'm like, right. We're living and breathing it. Right. Sure. Sure. I mean, the, the content and the blog post that Animals puts out is in, invaluable. The the free tool, uh, what's it called? Revive? Revive, yeah. I mean, it's just incredible. So the, the resources that you, you all are putting out is is some of the best in, in content marketing, which I would assume is a recruiting tool uh, in itself for new, new business, um, new employees. Um, which brings me to my next point, hiring and recruiting remote. That, uh, you kind of touched on this a little bit. Uh, you said you have a new hire who was kind of asking for help and, and ways that she can think about uh, working remotely. It was her first time doing so. How do you do this well? Are there ways to screen people? Do you look for people that have previous experience working remote? Like, what sort of challenges does being a remote company bring to the hiring or recruiting side of things? That's interesting. I, I would just say that hiring and recruiting is unbelievably challenging, period. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, and being remote is supposed to help make that easier because you open Access your account. Access to talent, to sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, however, 
Um, so yeah. So uh, how does remote make it more challenging? It's harder. I think, I don't know if this is unique to remote actually, but this has been my experience is that it sometimes feels harder to really get to know somebody. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Like you see them on video and it should be the same as in person, but there's something about how somebody walks into a room, how they deal with, you know, how they take in the other people in the office, um, their ability to get there. Right. <laughs> right. Like, I know that sounds weird. Like you, okay. So first of all, if this were a job interview, I would have said a very bad impression because as you know, I had the hardest time getting on Skype today. You have to create a new account. Yeah. Yeah. Just... yeah. It was not good. Uh, with the most bonkers username you've ever seen. So, uh, thank God this isn't a job interview and you're not me evaluating how people get there. But, uh, I think those are little tells, right? They're little things that you kind of like register in your brain that kind of equal it in a, a complete profile of a person. Um, I think you lose a little bit of that context and that can be challenging. Um, but that's like, I mean, I would, I would say I haven't experienced a ton of remote specific challenges when it comes to hiring because these days, especially there are an increasing number of people who are looking for remote work. There's also a lot of freelancers who are sick of drumming up yes. their own business yes. or looking to go somewhere where they can, the business just comes to them. Right. But they still want that flexibility and that lifestyle that they had as a freelancer. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I see that. I, I've seen that with, with even some of the people that freelance for us in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I think there's more, I think there's definitely, I've seen more upside than downside. Hmm. However, that doesn't mean that hiring's been easy. Hiring's been very, very, very challenging for us, and that's actually something that, in general, I wish, I wish we had a year ago, kind of got put in, put the screws on our hiring process, um, because we're we're doing that now, and it's at it's kind of at the too late point, right? Where we're sure. suffering, we're experiencing more pain than we needed to, um, and that's merely because it took us a while to see that, uh, that hiring was going to be a challenge, I guess, because you know what it was? We were hiring for fewer roles back, you know, in the beginning because we were growing slower. And then as soon as we wanted to grow faster, we were like, Oh no, (laughs) there's just, and we're like, what happened to all the talent? It's like, well, there's more, we need more of it. So there's less of, you know? And so, uh, I think I would, yeah, I really, the thing that has been the most challenging hasn't been remote. It's just been hiring, figuring out our process for hiring. And we haven't figured out a process that works yet. We're very much in an experimental phase. So we're going through a lot of pain right now in that way. How big is your marketing team right now? It's just, it's half of Jimmy. Half of Jimmy? Yeah. So Jimmy, Jimmy, well, sorry, until... January, really. Jimmy owned sales and marketing. And so we put out blog posts and newsletters as, as much as we possibly could. Sure. Uh, now Jimmy fully focuses on it. We have a, a, a salesperson. So it's Jimmy with the help of some of like, you know, Ryan, who's one of our uh, strategists. He just launched, like relaunched the newsletter. Sure. It's way fancier and awesome. I'm really excited about it. Um, and we have other contributors like Jan, who's another one of our strategists and one of our oldest, one of the, yeah, he's the old, he's been here since the beginning. 
Um, he writes for the blog a lot as well. So there's contributors, right? Yeah. But Jimmy is the only person that owns marketing. Wow. And yeah. uh, so like editorial, the strategy behind it, podcast, things like that. Uh, yeah. I think the website, but everything else. Right. Um, everything else was him, is right. him. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's not true. One of our content man- managers owns our Twitter account too. She graciously, <laughs> I'm so away. not used to even thinking about there being, it's always, it's been Jimmy <laughs> for so long. I'm like, wait, no, we do have other people. So we have like, we have other people on the team owning specific aspects of our marketing program. But uh, Jimmy is the one that owns all the strategy and most of the writing. And how does the, how does the, like the goal setting process work on the marketing side? Um, because there's like Jimmy has primarily in the past kind of, you know, headed the marketing side. And then obviously you came, uh, into the equation as well. Like, how do you, where does marketing's focus and goals come from? Like, is it just based on, you know, does Walter sort of pass down like revenue targets for the next year? Is it as simple as that? Or how does that work? Yeah. So prior to this year, it's always been a lead gen tool, a hundred percent. So, uh, we like, we're not going after traffic. That's not a number that we're even interested in. To us, it's a vanity metric, right? Which makes sense for a content marketing company. Like if you're, you know, a company like if, if you're living and breathing content, like you're, you kind of know how sort of meaningless traffic is these days. So it's like, you know, it makes sense that we're not doing that. So we don't, we don't really care about traffic. We do measure it. We don't care about it. Right. Um, so it's a lead gen tool for us. Uh, we haven't directly tied it to revenue, although we do track, like we do have a, we do look at how much revenue content has driven. Um, but we haven't been super strict around, uh, goal setting for content thus far. Um, partially, and this is one of those like, you know, uh, first world problems. Like, you know, we haven't been hungry for leads and new business. <laughs> That like really hasn't been our problem. And I know that sounds super braggy and obnoxious, like, ooh, humble brag, like we're doing fine. The the flip side of that is like our biggest challenge has been how do we scale this with this demand and kind of uh um set up the company to be able to process that demand and right. serve that demand um and maintain quality. That's a that's our biggest challenge. But on the marketing side, that really hasn't been it. And so um, this year was the first year that I kind of built a model. I was like, okay, we want to go after our biggest revenue target yet. Kind of backing that down to how many leads do we need? Do we need marketing to bring in every month? But we're not, we're not following it because then all of, like, we didn't need to. <laughs> and again, that sounds super, that sounds right. so anno- like I'm annoyed at myself, but that's the truth. Like that just, it, that we're lucky that happens to not be our challenge, but we're still challenged by growth on the like on the inside right right so it sounds like maybe the service side right is where you're probably prioritizing a lot of hiring and recruiting at this point right yeah because look how do you like scaling quality is so hard when you're five people in a room Mm. with walter right quality is going to be high right because you've got fewer people fewer customers you can spend more time on it you're scrappier right like but when you're trying to service you know 20, 50, 100 customers and provide the same level of service when you're doing creative work, that is so hard, right? right? And that's why process matters to me so much. And that's why I think that's actually the thing that's made it the most difficult to grow, right? It's like we could have brought in 
we hit our revenue target last year. I know this isn't a show about numbers, but like this just shows how big this challenge is for us. We had a revenue target last June. We had to recalibrate <laughs> to do more. I know, but sounds like you guys are just sandbagging it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but but here's the thing: we could have we we could have brought in more revenue yet last year, but we weren't capable of it. And mm. to me, leaving money on the table is like that's that that is a that's a big challenge. That's something that we're very much struggling with, and so are not struggling with again. It's all about perspective. That is our that is our challenge right now that we're trying to solve for. Um, and because we don't want to do that, we want to capitalize on all of it, right? It's not always going to be this good. So if you can't figure out how to make the most of good times, what are you going to do in the bad times? Right. right. So, <laughs> so like, do you have an annual model for this year, or, or like, how how are you approaching? Uh, because obviously the goals trickle down to everything, right? Like how you prioritize the time, like what 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 work you're prioritizing, what campaigns are important. Like, so what do you, what do you, if you don't have an annual model, like how do you, how do you handle the prioritization of work? So we do. So we do have a, so we have a revenue target every year. Um, and, uh, we have one this year. So very, yeah, we are very much Mm. model driven. Like we couldn't, gosh, it would be total chaos otherwise. Cause that's agency life. Agency agency life is inherently chaotic. We want to make it as, organized and efficient as possible. So, um, but in addition to our revenue target, one of my, one of the goals that I have for us this year is growth of the brand a little bit growth of the brand. That doesn't even mean anything. (laughs) Let me say that differently. Jeez. Um, is, uh, sort of create, um, evolving the brand and making it more, uh, giving it more of a personality and a shape and doing more. So try working on like having sort of concrete messages that we want to go out in the world with and be known for. We've never really experimented with that. We write posts on things we think are important, Mm -hmm. interesting and useful, but we've never tried taking a stance on something and being known for something. Um, So uh, sort of a a thought in content marketing. So Uh, so experimenting with that, um, Sort of, I guess that sort of edges on the on PR, right? Yeah. Um, but just you know, practicing coming up with a message, repeating it over and over in different ways through our content, and trying to be known for something. Sure. Um, because again, like we've been very lean with our with our content thus far, and that's what has made us successful. I'm looking to experiment with like expansion of our marketing efforts and seeing kind of what happens from that and how right. we can. You know, again, not just be known from like the word of mouth, like not just be a, a, a sort of speakeasy brand, right? If you're in the know, you know us. I love to say that. <laughs> but I actually think like that's not that hot anymore, right? It's like, let's try getting out, stepping out into the spotlight. Let's see, you know, let's, let's see what happens when we try to make animals more of a household name. Right. Yeah, it is interesting. I think you're in a good position to take a stand on uh, anything when it comes to content marketing. It'll be interesting to see which direction animals goes in. Um, last segment is really focused on a couple questions, just on uh, where where the team spends their time, priorities, and things like that. So, what are it sounds like there's a lot of things working, but what what are some of the more effective channels or just maybe tactics? Uh, that's working right now in terms of, you know, lead gen in terms of finding new clients and new business. Oh, uh, the blog. <laughs> so just organic, just the blog. 
Because I know early on you said word of mouth and, and networks was big, right? So that's kind of yeah. shifted. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the blog and word of mouth have always been um, our primary channels. Um, I the, the, the network aspect is what I'm working on this year. I really want to build more of a community around animals um, because, look, we're, we're like at this intersection between all these companies, right? Mm -hmm. we, we're, sorry, intersection of talent and companies. We should be making way more of that than we actually are, right? We can be helping way more people. We can be helping people that aren't even our customers, right? And we can help our customers more by being having a greater network of people who aren't our customers, right? Brokering partnerships, helping, you know, we know all these freelancers. We don't work with freelancers. We only work, you know, we have, we hire hundred percent in house, but like there are some customers say, or people who can't afford us that we could help by, you know, so, um, I think the going forward in the future, the way I see a third channel and probably becoming one of our more primary channels is this sort of community and network that we build around us. Um, and it's harder to define, obviously it's kind of harder to do. It's definitely harder to quantify, but I really see that as our insulation in the future, right? It transcends trends. It transcends technology. Like you can't replace those relationships. And so, um, that's what shape does that take? Like what, what community driven, like a, a it's super interesting, but what what shape does that take? Do you think? Yeah, so it it's funny. I was actually just talking about this with Jimmy on the podcast. Right. So my my experience of building community is that it doesn't have a like it's not a square or a circle. Mm. It's like a bunch of squiggly lines almost, right? And I think if you try to put too much shape around it, you actually uh, aren't doing it right. So it's like you are building like. You know, we're definitely going to focus on our newsletter, like our our subscriber list. Um, I'm spending a lot more time in our in our uh, the content marketing career group group Slack that Jimmy built. Oh yeah, yeah, that's pretty. It's very um, active too. Yeah, and it's wonderful. But like for me, it's like okay, I'm going to be building community in other Slack groups too, and maybe even a Facebook group. Who knows? Ugh. Um, <laughs> you know, I feel gross even saying it, but there are some actually good groups on Facebook. Uh, that I'm a part of. So, uh, so it's like you kind of find the areas where the community are, you try to centralize them. Um, that part, I don't have a like full disclosure. I don't have a plan for yet. Like how to centralize or how to find a way to connect all those things sure. or even if it's possible. Um, it may not be, it may just be that, um, it's through those individual efforts and then growing the brand, right? This is something that Help Scout did really well. Um, there was a very strong community around their brand because they were so good at literally everything they did. Um, and so people kind of flocked to them, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, actually, now that I think about it, I think the brand is really the kind of glue that holds it all together, right? And if we make that bigger, then like simply our presence in these other communities will be like, oh my gosh, animals is here. Awesome. Right. right. Yeah. And for people who don't know animals, they'll be like, oh my gosh, these guys are awesome. Right. And it's like, so I know that sounds kind of like, it sounds kind of nebulous and confusing. Half of that is that I don't think it should be really concrete shape. And half of it is that like, I'm still putting that plan together, sure. <laughs> but <laughs> sure. it's held together by my core belief that like community matters. And it's like our ticket to long-term success. Well, the Slack group's a good start. So, oh my God. uh, and, uh, it's pretty, uh, 
there's a lot of people in it. It's active. A um, yeah. lot of companies represented on there. So that's yeah. a, that's a, uh, I mean, I think I posted something on there about a, a freelance gig a friend of mine had, and I've, I've had emails all week. And I, yes. I was surprised at how active it was. I was like, okay, hey, I'm going to start posting here more often. I so. got help finding a web developer. I've helped people. I helped a girl with a job interview process, like through the, throughout from beginning to end, right. To her getting a new job. Um, you know, I've met with it, like the help goes back and forth. Right. And honestly, again, going back to this whole remote challenge, it makes me feel better being yeah. a part of the community. Cause like on days when I'm like, Oh, you know, I go into the content marketing career, talk to a few people. I'm like, Oh, wow. Cool. Like, I feel good. Right. I just connected yeah. with people. And you're like, not just restricted to the restricted might be the wrong word, but just the people within the confines of your office. Yeah. Right. Like you're talking to people at different companies You can go on there and shout out to uh, Sean Blanda, uh, yes. who I was talking to on there last week. And, and or Andy uh, GoDaddy is my fave. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, it's, a, well, since we're shouting out the group, uh, uh, we have plenty of content marketers that listen. So where can they, where can they join? They, that's a great question. It's on Jimmy. <laughs> there's, it's on jimmydaily.com. It's his. So one of the things that I love about this, and I think it part of what will make community successful is this was started by Jimmy. Like this, if animals goes away tomorrow, this, this group remains. And I think that's super important. Um, it can't be like, I don't use it. I may, I may benefit from it by asking people's advice in there or asking them to like, you know, fill out a survey or whatever, but like I, that group is a hundred percent standalone, which I think is really important. So I'll give you the link. It's, it's on jimmydaily.com. It's, cool. If you, if you, if you Google content marketing career growth community, it'll come up. Cool. And I, I could toss a link in the show notes too. Um, all right, Devin, I think that we covered a lot in 40 minutes. So this yeah. was, this was super fun and hearing, uh, and hearing that I, I love your approach to quality content you didn't say a ton about the writing itself it's more about the environment that you create and i love that right and 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 the environment that you create for others for your team and uh i think there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there a lot to learn from that so anyways i had a lot of fun uh with this conversation and, and hearing all about you and hearing all about animals so thanks for coming on Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.